Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello guys and welcome back to another Dope Black Dads podcast. My name's Cameron and today we're going to have some fun. (laughs) A human behavior specialist who uses a psycho-emotional, psycho-spiritual, decolonized, non-clinical therapeutic approach to individual therapy. Um, The list goes on, honestly. Couples counseling, all while specializing in black man issues with his own lived experiences. He's a former award-winning public school educator turned speaker, counseling psychologist, human behavior relationship expert. He does it all, literally. In short, he teaches people how to therapize themselves. Dr. Kurt is the executive director of I Am International Inc., a worldwide personal development training organization. He works, rests, and plays in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's here with us today in the most awesome t-shirt. <laughs> so how are you doing, Dr. You're right. Yes, sir. Thank you, Cameron. How you doing, man? Thanks for having I'm me. I'm good. I'm good. Good. What time is it out there? It is two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, cool. It's not too late. I like it. I like. I always like to find out where people are from just to kind of see the differences and stuff like that. Um, exactly. And I kind of want to start off um, today's podcast, kind of just learning a bit about your journey. So I've started asking people is kind of if you can think back to the key moments in your life that have kind of led you to where you are in your life purpose that you have now. Wow, that's a good question. We're going deep. <laughs> yeah, man. So I'm not surprised to be where I am now, both personally and professionally. And of course, Cameron, lots of people say, I never thought I would be here. I had some idea. So what I noticed is the common thread throughout my life is that I wanted, I've always wanted to help other people learn more about themselves. Right. Always. I did it in education Mm. first as my way of teaching. And now in the psychological mental health space as a different way of teaching, a more intimate way of teaching. But I always knew that I wanted to share with people. I wanted people not to learn concepts outside of themselves, but to become intimate with self-knowledge. And on some level, I've been doing that my entire life, both personally and professionally. Okay. And in terms of, um, so it's all around this kind of like mental health um, aspect is where your kind of like your knowledge is incredible. 
Um, what I come to know, because I've I've recently been looking a lot more into mental health. I've been off in Bali for six months, trying to contemplate, find my eat, pray, love self, as they say. Um, right. And and I've been hearing a lot about meditation, doing a lot of that kind of stuff, and 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 learning a lot about my own mental health, which wasn't something that was hugely spoken about when I was a lot younger. Even now that I'm an adult. So, what kind of from your kind of like professional experience and personal experiences? How have you found mental health within like the black community? How, how is it now such a big conversation, whereas before it was like non-existent? Right. So it depends on uh, it depends on who you're asking, Cameron. So I'll tell you okay. this: like, mental health has become this popular, trending thing uh, for two reasons. One, we have immediate access, obviously, to information through social media and different online as uh, avenues. But the other part is so many things are taking place in the world today that we we sort of have the not so good privilege of seeing individuals crash out in real time. And so, you know, it, it, everybody goes to this. We need to we need to focus on our mental health. We need to focus on our mental health. Well, white white folks been working on their mental health forever. As a matter of fact, most of the research is done around white folks. White children have been in a mental health space forever, uh, being subjected to uh, different drugs, right? To help them sort of cope. Uh, the black community has not had access for mostly economic reasons, right? We just hadn't had the access. I was fortunate enough, my mother worked at a university here in the States, and so she had access and during while I was in high school, uh, she took me to see a therapist. This was back in the mid 80s. So we're talking 85, 86. So mm. some some of us had access, but not many in terms of the black community. The only knowledge, Cameron, that we knew about mental health is when someone in the hood uh, went crazy and they had to be sent off to a home or a hospital facility. That was our only explosion. And that maybe happened once or twice in a lifetime for the average black person that I know. Yeah, I think what I found, I've always found quite interesting, especially, you know, if we're talking states versus UK or like the differences in the kind of cultures. If you were to tell someone, if I was to walk down the street to my friends and be like, yeah, I've just been chatting to my therapist. They instantly think I'm like this crazy whack job who's about to be thrown into a straitjacket and, and all this stuff. Whereas in the US, as far as I'm aware, it's a lot more normal to be like, oh, I've got a therapist and I spoke to my therapist last Thursday, that kind of stuff. Would you say that's the, that that is the case? It is. And that's just in the last maybe five years, right? So now it's, again, it's tricky to be, you know, going to a therapist. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a status thing almost, right? Like you have access and resources, right? Mm. That you're working on yourself, right? Uh, so people throw it, and I'm not undermining, obviously I'm in the industry, but it's really a thing to tell somebody like, yeah, you know, I'll just have to sort this out with my therapist, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's that thing, but only amongst a certain socioeconomic class from a black yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that definitely. Um, cool. So what, what kind of challenges do you think a lot of black people are facing in terms of mental health? What kind of challenges are we, are we, are we being surrounded with now in the in the present moment around mental health it's been the same as always it's racism <laughs> right it's, okay it's, it's racism on every level it's systemic racism it's blatant and, and direct racism right it's uh, uh 
environmental racism, <laughs> it's food racism, it's medical racism, it's racism. And that's the mm. thing that we don't want to talk about, right? It's racism. Yeah. It's the microaggressions for those of us who are oblivious to the direct and blatant racism, right? It's the macroaggressions. It's a lot of mm. things from a, a, a community standpoint. Uh, it's a lot. But the underbelly is racism. Mm. I think I think that's one thing I definitely find um, differently in my experiences in the UK is it's like people are, they've got this like polite racism. It's like, I don't like you, but I'm not going to let you know. Whereas there are some countries that are clear, like, let me let you know I don't like, do you know what I mean? But I think, like you said, it's a blanket statement. At the end of the day, it is just that. It is just racism. And would you say that's been a huge contributor to the kind of mental health issues people are having today? Or is it just um, a small amount? Is it huge or just small? It's huge. It's huge. Mm. And because we're all inundated with constant information, it's it's just a daily overload. And we don't have the skill sets, right? We have the capacity, but we don't have the capabilities. That's different, right? As black people, at least in America, we have the capacity to deal with racism. We always have. Most of us don't have the capabilities to make sure that we're managing sort of our reactions to racism as it, relate, as it re- relates to our mental health. Mm. So how, what would your advice be to someone who who is you know, experiencing, like every black person has experienced in some form, a form of racism. Um, like you said, it's a blanket, it is racism. Someone who has experienced that, how does, what would your advice be to someone to deal with that racism so it doesn't affect their mental health? Right, so get a therapist or a counselor, right? Uh, someone that can support you like your uh, primary care physician, your dentist, your attorney, your accountant, Right. Whomever, like get someone on your team, your care team that you can go to to sort of help sort out the things that you're carrying emotionally. One of the things that we don't talk enough about, and this is because of racism, in my opinion, is the research around emotionality as it specifically relates to black people. So it's not just mental health. It's emotional wellness. And as black people, we have a specific way that we need to be able to be taught how to manage our reactions to our emotions. Not all the clinical terms from a westernized medical industrial complex approach. No, we don't need traditional white Western medicine terms to help label us further than racism already has. That's counterproductive in the mental health space. We need to be taught how to become friends with our bodies safely and securely. Powerful. Literally, that's that's making me think, really, because like one thing I've definitely been working on is that emotional intelligence, knowing how to um, understand the different types of emotions I'm having. Yes, we all know the names of different emotions, but what does it actually feel like? Can you be happy and say and know what it feels like to be, you know, not just frustrated, but confused. Like, what, what is the differences between that? And I think that's something I personally have always struck. Do you see that quite quite common around other people or is that just me? No, that is one of the biggest challenges that most of us are emotionally illiterate. <laughs> we yeah. just, right, we just, we, we know we have happy and we have angry, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
but but we don't we don't get like you said we don't get sadness frustration irritation guilt shame right there's a million emotions different emotions we are functionally emotionally illiterate as a culture as a people and so we need to be taught the baseline in my opinion Cameron there's four things that help strengthen the emotional state of black people specifically right and the first thing is emotional awareness then there's emotional literacy then there's emotional intelligence and lastly there's emotional fitness right like we have to get in shape emotionally to withstand racism and our personal challenges that come with just being a human being okay that's not, what was the first one that you said again I like this. The four, the four point was the first one again. Sorry. Yeah, emotional awareness. Right. So emotional awareness is that just like knowing the names of them, or is it like being like I'm now angry, I'm now frustrated? It's 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 really becoming aware of how emotions give you messages in your body. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Then we go so to the literacy. Like, what you. what does that mean? Like, how what's that right. feeling and what's that mean? Right. Then we go to. How do we make this work for us from an intellectual standpoint? Now that we got this feely stuff, how do we make it work? And then we go to, we need to show up and practice how to tie all of these three pillars together. And that's the fourth one, the emotional fitness. And okay, I think for me, if I'm, if I'm, I'm going to make this very, I'm gonna, sorry guys, I'm making this very selfish because I feel like I'm going to learn a lot myself from this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn right. today. So um, yeah, for me, it's the, um, the application. Like I feel I'm a lot more aware of my emotions. I feel like I've always been forced to do so now having kids because I want to be able to show them, right, this is what confusion, you're feeling confused right now. You're not always just upset, right? So mm-hmm. I felt very similar to that. Then it becomes the application of when these happen, when I feel these emotions and, and put it into practice, the emotional fitness side of things, how does one do that? <laughs> That's a good point. There's a number of things to, uh, to do that. You brought up one of the best ways, meditation, there's exercise, mm. there's scanning the body, there's breath work, there's self-talk, music, dance. There's a lot of ways to stay emotionally fit. It just depends. Mm. And I tell people all the time, once you run one fitness program emotionally, your body's going to hit your, it's going to hit a plateau. You got to do another workout. Uh, but the goal is to find out what works for you and turn it into a practice because we're all Cameron healing for, from something. Oh, all of us, no exception to that. We're all healing. I talk with people with some of the best backgrounds, haven't had really that many traumas, they still must heal from some form uh, of emotional disruption. Mm. And it's not about just suppressing it, like knowing these emotions and being like, I'm going to deal with it by not worrying about it and, leave, and bringing it down and being calm and cool. It's about understanding and, and, and allowing that emotion to happen, but rather than reacting, responding. Is that what you're kind of going at? Absolutely. That's it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Cameron. Crazy. Yep. So one, one topic I wanted to bring up as well, and, and again, it's me being a bit selfish on this. It's the, <laughs> um, the, the, the idea, I want to talk about masculinity. Um, masculinity and vulnerability, being vulnerable with your emotions and, and what it means to be a man, I guess they could say, or being in tune with your masculine energy. Um, talk to me a bit about what you've experienced around those two topics, masculinity and vulnerability. So they go hand in hand, right? Mm. Uh, but it has changed over the years. 
So here in the States, right, we prided ourselves, and keep in mind, I'm 51, so I came up in the 70s and 80s. We prided ourselves, right, we prided, <laughs> we prided ourselves on um, attaining a certain level of masculinity, right? That was the thing. Mm-hmm. That was synonymous with manhood, right? So masculinity used to be labeled as a good thing, right? But then we found that it became... we. Lots of us became hyper-masculine, not toxic masculine, but hyper-masculine, which means we over-relied on the very masculinity things that we were taught as little boys. So when it came to being vulnerable, we sort of squeezed that out. Like we was like, what is that? That sounds like weakness. That's Mm -hmm. girly. That's feminine. Like, no, that's that's counterintuitive and counterproductive to the notion of masculinity. So we denounced it because no one taught us that. Mm. No one taught us that. And so, you know, we we didn't know it. We didn't know it. So then we got labeled as being toxic masculinity, Mm. (laughs) right? Toxically masculine, as if that was a thing, right? And that became Mm. trending. So once the mainstream media, once uh, white mainstream media uh, labeled us as toxic, then everybody wants to run out and say, we need to learn about being vulnerable, mm. right? Not as an addition to our previously learned experiences, Cameron, but to sort of, mm. you know, counteract another label that was placed upon us from mainstream America. So now everybody mm. want to say, oh, you got to be vulnerable and all that. Yeah, you do. But there's levels to being vulnerable, For example, it's not always about, oh, I'm feeling blue, I'm feeling sad. That's a smidget of what vulnerability is. Vulnerability is also when I close my mouth and listen to you as my brother without trying Mm. to talk over you. I'm being vulnerable, right? Sometimes Mm. it's just basic stuff, right? I don't need, oh, Cameron, I had a rough day today. Yeah, that included in, but it's also as I value my brother as myself. And I'm going to shut my damn mouth and listen to him, even though I'm older than him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? that's, that's crazy. That's one thing I've always battled with because I'm quite a young guy. Uh, I'm going to say 20 something for the, for the <laughs> listeners. They don't need to know exact age. But I'm quite young. Um, and um, I've done quite well in life, but I've been in positions where I'm speaking to people who are a lot older than me, who I do value and I look up to. But I've always felt like I've, I've, I have to drop myself down because you're older than me. And I've always been taught, respect your elders. That's a huge part of what I've always believed in, which is true, respect your elders, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're at a pedestal that's higher than me or anything like that. And that's something I've definitely battled with. Um, and going back to what you're saying with this whole like trending thing of toxic masculinity, which is huge at the moment now, obviously, and I've always struggled with masculinity. I grew up without a dad. I've been around a lot of feminine energy. My aunties, my best friends were always girls. I've had a lot of feminine um, input into my life. I've not really been able to channel my masculine energy until I, I've grown up a lot, a lot older now recently. And now toxic masculinity is a huge thing. It's like, oh my God, how do I step into this without you know, stepping into the toxic side or, or as they, they call the toxic side? So h- how does someone navigate that? That's a good question. It's mostly contextual, Cameron. Uh, and uh, let's use your example you gave, right? You know what you know from your previously lived experiences. If you grew up with mostly women, you have a extreme uh, 
skill set that has made you very successful. Mm. You would not have gotten that <laughs> without <laughs> having like for real. Like I'm, I, lots of us who don't have the balance. Sometimes you say, "Oh, I've been around women all my life." Well, yeah, there's some gifts with that because we all are masculine and feminine. It's just a matter of how well you know yourself, and are you heavily relying on one as a result to the other? I suspect you naturally do both. Right, but you do what you know most, and that's as a result of your lived experiences. But there's some gifts in that. There's some gifts and talents that has made you very successful and relatable. Right now, without a male figure, for most of us, meaning we didn't have a dad in our lives or in our houses, we didn't get the day to day that we got from women. Mostly, how to react to different things. And so we think we need to be fixed. Oh, well, you know, my aunt, my mom, my grandmother, they sort of did this. So that becomes <laughs> sort of toxic. And by definition, mm. Cameron, toxic just means poison, right? That means we overuse mm. something and now it is not working for us. Right. Okay. So it's not about being afraid of the word of being called toxic. It's about, you know, reeling it in and working on and, and just growing, growing yourself, basically. Yeah. All of us are toxic Crazy. at some point. Right there, I, and I tell people all the time: somebody is in therapy talking about all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I love right. that. <laughs> somebody is in therapy right now, saying, "Yeah, I used to go with this guy named Cameron. I went out with this guy <laughs> named Kurt. I married him. I had babies <laughs> with him, and yeah, I tell people, yeah. So if you're not in therapy, I apologize to all my exes. I'm <laughs> sorry for any trouble. <laughs> exactly. If you're just be just because you're not in therapy doesn't mean somebody's not in therapy because of you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Speaking on speaking on the therapy side of things, um, what kind of resources are available or unavailable um, to us that we can kind of use? I, I, I must say I'm someone who's now like, yeah, I've been listening to this. You know, I want to work on my mental health and all this kind of stuff. What What's the best way for someone to get into it? To, to get into it professionally or to seek out just the support? To, to seek out the support, sorry. Right. So it's a very small number of uh, mental health pro- uh, professionals and practitioners of color in this in the United States. Of, of course, you would know mm-hmm. that number in the UK. But in the United mm-hmm. States, a very small number, somewhere around 4%. And it's even a smaller yeah, number wow. for black males in the mental health space, right? So we need to first promote... Right. The industry of mental health, psychology, uh, social work, so that it is more attractive uh, and efficient for people of color, particularly black people. Right. So the research, the, the, the practitioners are very limited. Right. Doesn't mean that we can't do the work. Right. I tell people there is an educational component to you knowing how to manage your mental health and your emotional wellness. But the number one teacher is your lived experiences. Most people don't do that. Like mm. your life is the blueprint. Like you said, when mm. you just said, I grew up with my mom, my aunts, man, that's where we start. We don't start with the, the industry. We start with Cameron's life. Right. And the only way we're going to help Cameron heal is to have someone preferably who looks like him or at least been through something very similar to him to help him on his journey. <laughs> mm. But it's the so number true, one right? healing tool, the number one healing tool for you, for me, is the things we've been through. <laughs> we got to start yeah. there. 
Yeah, and talking through the different experiences that you had. Yeah. Absolutely, because they shaped mm. you. The people shaped you. All of us have either have been. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Damaged in relationship, which means we have to be healed in relationship. Mm-hmm. Crazy. I remember when I when I did my kind of first, I've done a, um, different types of therapy. Like I said, I've done the whole like go to Bali, eat, pray, love stuff. But before that, I did do, um, my work actually had a really good um like therapy um, opportunity so you could have a therapist um the therapist like you said wasn't a black guy he had ne- probably never ever seen a black person other than on tv to be honest you know right. those situations where it's like i want to speak to you like me but you've got to put on you know the, the posh voice and and be all professional all that kind of stuff so it didn't feel like i was getting the what i should have been getting and the same for when i went through um i did couples counseling with my wife when we were doing that kind of stuff again the the lady had wasn't aware of multicultural families so she could help me to a certain extent but there's always that disconnect so it's like you said increasing the amount of professionals who are like us can help hugely in speaking through those kind of experiences yeah yeah 100 exactly and if it's not let's say we don't find a practitioner who looks like us right the next best thing is someone who's experienced and working with us Right. If we go through uh, to a, if we're professional soccer player, football players or basketball players. Yeah, we may not find a black surgeon. <laughs> right. Who played basketball. But we need a black surgeon who worked on knees of professional black athletes. <laughs> That's the next mess. Yeah, exactly. Like how many black football players have you operated on for this orthoscopic surgery? That's the next best mm. thing. Just say you have that kind of like cultural relationship and and, and yeah. you can understand each other from a bit more deeper. It's like I've said this in another podcast as well. It's this universal thing. I want to make this a known thing. You know, when you go to any country, anywhere, and you just do the black nod, everyone knows the black nod. It's that. It's having the ability to have that connection and that link with someone. You don't need to know their experiences, but you know they've gone through something very similar just from looking and knowing knowing a bit about them from just that which I think is huge. Um, but that is it. I also it. wanted to speak. Yeah. Exactly. That's the, that's the connection. That's the first line of connection. That, what's up, bro? <laughs> Even if yeah, we don't exactly. verbalize it, it's like, <laughs> I we see know. you. 
I, I can see you. you. Exactly. Right. <laughs> On Avatar, I see you. I like it. I like I it. I see you. Um, <laughs> so um, in terms of like mental awareness, because that was one of the first things you said we need to work on a lot more is this whole like mental health awareness. What's your kind of advice and thoughts on bringing more awareness to it? So two ways. Uh, from a collective standpoint, just actually doing more things like this, right? Just getting the right. word in the conversation. We all learn through stories coming up. And so when people hear this episode, it'll be like a story. Two black guys having a conversation. That's one way from a collective stuff. Just fill up the spaces with real conversations, real insight, real experiences. The next part is the awareness that we need to be taught as individuals, culturally speaking, right? And that has to be taught by someone who is amongst the tribe. Let me give you an example, right? So we'll go into a typical therapeutic space, mental health space, and uh, people start off, like I'll use my own practice. My brother come in and he'll say, yeah, I'm angry or upset about this. Something happened in his relationship or his job. And so I had to peel back the letters. I mean, I said, do you, are you angry as in you feel like you were unfairly treated? Are you upset, meaning you're frustrated and just exhausted? Or are you mad as hell because you've been personally violated? And they say, that's it. See, that's different for us. So we don't, we, it's not just semantics for us to be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. No, I ain't angry because of racism and being unfairly treated. I'm pissed. I'm mad. I've been personally violated. That's different. We have to have that unique cultural experience so a person of color can be like, you're speaking to my listening. I feel that. That's it. That's the awareness that I need, right? That mm. is it. Same as as uh, uh, fear uh, and being scared. I'm like, are you feeling like you're in clear and present danger, like your life is ended, or are you fearing that you're not going to be able to succeed at a high level? That's it. I'm Never scared. I, I'm 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 scared. Like when I was little and my mom turned the lights off, I'm scared. I know my mom is in the next room and ultimately is I'm going to be okay. But in this moment, I'm feeling inadequate. Mm. Right. So those are the comments we got to peel back the layers, peel back the layers. So what about if you're someone who's like, um, I don't know, like a teenager, for example. Right. So you, you, you have some form of childhood traumas or childhood experiences, but it's still in its like early stages. There's still a lot for you to learn. How can someone from an early age start to, you know, take their mental health seriously and have a nice, strong, fit mental health, um, health, basically? How can someone have that from a younger age? So it's not like a always trying to fix something, just stop the problem before it happens. Right. So, the so the best determining factor on how well a young person will fare from a mental health and emotional wellness standpoint are the adults mm. around them, <laughs> mm. right? So if your parents are dysregulated, they don't handle crises right. They don't talk about it. They don't, your chances become very slim. If your parents are absent, but they reward you with material things, your chances are very slim, right? I work with young people every single day. I got a young kid today to work in a couple of hours from now, 16 years old. Right. Mm. Hadn't been taught how to manage his reactions to his emotions. He has been taught 
that he needs to be medicated, labeled, and he needs to stop doing what he's doing. That's it. Wow. That's different. So for young people, I find it two ways. Teach them, which is why I take more of a psychoeducational approach. Teach them like anything else. Tell them the truth, right? And listen to them. Listen to them. Yes, listen to them. Stop jumping in trying to fix them. I get a call every day from some mother saying, my black son is broken and I need you to fix him. Of course, they don't use those words, but ultimately that's what they're saying. And I tell a Mm -hmm. black mother, a black grandmother, a black wife, I don't fix black boys because they're not broken. They're wounded. They need to be healed, but they're not broken. That's different. Mm. That's huge. I've, I've actually, I want to speak on this as well, actually, because this has always been a huge personal goal of mine, which I've taken a step back from because I've got my own family. But um, so with my family, my brother and sister, we're quite disconnected. And very recently, me and my sister, right? And it all kind of stemmed from my sister's relationship with um, our mum. And they've had always had a really bad relationship and stuff like that. And I've spoken to my mum. I've spoken to my sister. I've heard both perspectives. But trying to bring that together, it's like bringing a magnet together. It just ain't happening. There's always this kind of like clash and things like that. So what advice would you have for me to kind of, or should I even bother trying to heal that relationship? Because it is, it's very frustrating for me because I see both sides, I understand both sides. And I know that if it doesn't get fixed, especially for my sister, she's going to keep having these traumatic issues and problems of her life going forward because she's not dealing with her relationship with her mum. Lovely yeah. question. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. So there's a couple of things that show up for me as I listen to you, Cameron. The first thing is uh, family counseling, right? It doesn't have to be mm. catastrophic to have family counseling. The work is not yours to fix for her personally, obviously. Yeah. But as a family member, we all could benefit from family counseling. I work with families, even though the, the children are grown now, um, just to sort of create that healing space. Right. We do. Mm. We, we, we bring intervention to the entire family. What I know is it's always something that we are not prepared. There's always a blind spot. Mm. For example, we'll walk in with your sister having her challenge with your mom. We'll walk out with a whole different insight. Like, oh, wow. We didn't see that shit coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what we do in the black community is we focus on the individual who's exhibiting the most symptoms. Hmm. The person who's exhibiting the most symptoms, whatever it is, your sister in this case, me coming up, that is the person who's actually the most courageous. They're just exhausted. Hmm. They're courageous enough to have bumped against things so often that now they are exhausted. And now it's coming out in different areas in their life that's Hmm. making it very disruptive. So I tell people that all the time, like the one who is exhibiting the most symptom is the most courageous. It's just like if one had to go to the doctor. When I was growing up with my siblings, if one of us got sick, that means one person and we all ate the same thing the night before. One body has to do more fighting from an immunal standpoint (laughs) than my other siblings. And we need to take this one to the doctor. Mm. So it's still a family issue. It's just individualized. And the way to heal that is to make sure that the entire family is on the healing. Here's what I know between mother and child, right? When it's still disruptive as an adult, 
that's because the right questions haven't been asked. The, the mm. truth hasn't been told. Forgiveness is non-existent. And someone mm. hasn't been heard. Facts. I think you... Jesus. Well, where do you get this knowledge from? So you've already <laughs> mentioned, like, that, like the, the majority of people in your profession, you know, are white um, and, and it's even smaller for not just being black, but being black male. How did you get into this profession and... and and learn this stuff. Like, how have you got this? I want it. I want to literally grab your head and check it in mind. But how have you gone about this? <laughs> so a couple of things. So my short answer is there's a TEDx talk out there with my name. I, I speak 16 minutes on my journey on how I got into this space, right? So for the listeners, man, it's a, search, it's a Google search. Please, I'd be honored if you listen to my TEDx talk that took place uh, last April, right? And it sort of gives you a sort of a cliff note of my journey and how I ended up in this space. But where I am now, Cameron, is as a result of working with thousands of black males of all ages. So my youngest person may be seven. My oldest person may be 77. And I'm honored and privileged to work with black men every single day. Every, and, and I'm talking different avenues, professional athletes, surgeons, doctors, uh, you name it, uh, famous rappers, you know, like you name it, I've been privileged to sit down with him. So I have experience of working specifically with black males, right? And I hadn't had to go through the whole code switching, matching with talking to BS. We were able to sit down just like this, because this is how I practice, usually with a t-shirt, tats, <laughs> jeans, <laughs> Jordans, right? So you walk into my office here, you're going to see me with some ripped jeans on, a t-shirt and some Air Jordans. You're going to see that, right? So immediately you're going to walk in and be like, whoa, like you're a doctor? And I'm like, yeah, bro, come on in, right? So it's that <laughs> ability to connect. So, so with that, I've listened to men. I've listened to black males for thousands of hours, Cameron, right? In addition to my own lived experience. So the way I express my approach to mental health is uniquely mine, but it is as a result of working with young black men like yourself. Hearing your story, like you said, you got a family, right? You, you've been in couples counseling. You got a sister. There's issues with mom. So I, that, your story is part of my healing. Your story is part of my experience for the next black man. I've worked with mm. several people from the UK. I've literally had... 10 clients in the UK in the last 10 years, learning the culture, right? We, I've talked with some, some clients uh, from the UK and we spend the first two minutes mocking each other's dialect, right? And, 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 and accents, right? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. before we, that's our way of connecting. They'd be like, what's up, Dr. Kirk? And I'd be like, oh, you know, like that's how we start off. It's real cool, man. So to answer your question, uh, there's a TED talk out that kind of gives the, the uh, intricacies of my story and how I got into mental health and my experience working with black males mostly every single day for the last 10 years. I'm definitely going to watch that after this now. And I've got a really big question. It's again, another personal one to my heart. And we're going to bring it up because it's, it's, it's not in my notes at the moment, but I'm going to bring it up because I'm feeling, I'm feeling open and welcome with you right now. Can you fix Kanye West? Because my guy. <laughs> so the good thing is. Let's talk about thing, it. Right, right. So two things. The short answer is no. And the better answer is, you know, we're both from Chicago, right? So I'm a Chicago kid. 
And so there is some allegiance because he's a Chicago kid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's not broken. He's wounded. He needs he- There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So he needs healing. It's hard to stay still and heal when you have access to, you're on the spotlight from a media and you have money. So mm-hmm. being able to settle down for him, it's close to mm-hmm. like he, he, he probably needs to go rest for a good 12 months somewhere. Yeah. Just rest. Yeah. Just take naps, get up, work out, you know, mm. read, just take naps, read, work out, get off the grid and chill mm. with, with some professionals around him, of course. Yeah. But that's yeah. it. So I don't get caught up in it. I don't follow it. Uh, a lot of people do, of course, here in the States. Um, but I see what I see. Uh, but I don't mm. make, a, a, you know, professional assessments without obviously working with the person one on one. Exactly. <laughs> No, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, I, I, I completely can relate with that. Like, it's, it's, he definitely isn't broken, like you said. It just needs healing. I think that kind of like just chilling out and relaxing for 12 months. If he'll do that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <Right>. but, <laughs> but it's definitely needed because he's, he's, the, the genius is still there and I want to keep mm-hmm. it um, still, still, still yay fan. So definitely. Yep. Um, yeah, bef- we're, we're almost running out of time, but I do want to kind of get some more from you, really, which was more about like, for our listeners, what's the main kind of topics and points that you definitely want to bring out? Let's talk a bit more about what you want to bring out on, on this podcast. Well, I'm always honored to to just uh, answer questions and, and to share, like you mentioned at the beginning, Cameron, just a nice organic flow. Right? I usually mm. don't have anything, you know, stuff comes up, um, but I pride mm. myself on just really being a resource for the community, even across the, you know, the world. Like, how mm. can I serve? Right. And so... You know, I just, you know, whenever my schedule allows me to jump on an interview, right, particularly people of color or people who are focused on working with people of color, black people in particular, Mm. uh, whether they're from the Caribbean, the UK, Nigeria, doesn't matter. uh, I like to just add my ideas, my experiences and my voice to the space. I want 10 years from now for someone to come across this clip. And if they get one nugget as a result of the questions you ask, and my mm. response, and we've helped change their life, I'm good with that. Definitely. So can, can you talk a bit more about um, the I Am International then? Because I want to know a bit more about this company that you've created and how that kind of ties in with your kind of life purpose and what you're doing at the moment. Right, right. So I created this company to sort of serve as a resource to teach. It is my knowingness, Cameron, that we need to be taught how to take care of ourselves from a mental health standpoint. We don't need to be diagnosed or medicated. We need to be taught, right? And that teaching has to be somewhat individualized. So I created this company that would allow me to go to take it from a teaching standpoint, which is why I use the term psychoeducational. So I'll show up through an interview, show up at your school, your university, your nonprofit organization, and do a talk or lecture on different aspects of mental health, mostly on emotional wellness, right? And that, and, that, and my company serves to do that, right? So that's the vehicle that I use to teach. Now, within that company, I still do private practice, whether it's one-on-one, I do couples counseling, I do family therapy, and I also do group therapy uh, virtually and in person with Black men, just, just mm-hmm. all Black men. So the company just gives me uh, a vehicle to teach what I generically label as 
personal development, right? So, right, right. you know, mental health, everybody want to, it's trending. Like, oh, I'm going to see a therapist and mental health. No, we need to be personally developing because after you and I work, as we're working on our mental health and emotional wellness, we have to go into, as you mentioned, Cameron, emotional intelligence and then relational intelligence. You mentioned mm. having a family. Like, who's going to teach us that? Like, we need that. Yeah. We need mental health, emotional wellness, emotional intelligence. Then how the heck we relate to our partners, our spouses, mm. whole different skill sets, whole different skill sets. So I teach that or I work with people who teach that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's a, what that's I am in the What was doing before this company? How did you, how did you transition from, I think you said you were a teacher beforehand. How did you transition from that into this company, going to it full time and that kind of stuff? Right. So I, I, I started off university preparing to be a teacher. So I started off as a classroom teacher. Middle school students, mm -hmm. anywhere from 12 to 15 year old. That was my area. Mm -hmm. And so I left public education as a, as a principal. So for example, like right. a headmaster where you guys are, right? Yeah, After yeah, I yeah. did that for a, a few years, uh, I got into the business world and did some real estate investment, did very well. And then my life crashed, right? Went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. Both my parents died. Uh, I lost everything. My marriage, I had to sit in, sit in jail for a couple of months. It was a really tough time wow. for me emotionally where I sort of checked out for about five years. And you'll hear that in my TED talk. And so when I came, I, as, I as I worked on my own mental health, I decided to get on the other side. I decided to not only, uh, as once I was finished being a patient, I wanted to be a practitioner. I wanted to live share space with brothers like yourself with not just the credentials and the paperwork and all of that. That's, mm. I wanted to be able to share space if a brother says, my marriage is going tough or I just lost my mom. I'm like, yeah, come on in, have a seat. Let's go to it. So that's how I got it. And because I started off in education, ended up in the mental health psychology field, I used my best of both worlds. I'm going to teach. I'm going to take a teaching approach more so than an expert approach. Like, yeah, Cameron, that sounds like you may be bipolar. I don't do any of that. Mm. That's not real healing. You don't mm. need another label. You're a black man. They already labeled you when you were born. <laughs> mm. I'm not adding to that nonsense. Right. Like, really? So I take an educational approach. I take an educate and you and I co-create your syllabi. Like we co-create mm. your methodology so that you can leave my office and go back and put it into play. Mm. That is powerful that you've gone <laughs> through all of that and then created your business from all that. Because a lot yep. of people would think like, you know, coming from, uh, as you said, principal kind of background, going through, going down, hitting lows and then coming back up out of it again. A lot of people are, are struggling through that bit there. And not only did you come out of it, you've then now gone, I've gotten out of this. This was so helpful to me. I'm now going to pass it on. That's that's humbling. It's humbling. Thank you, man. It's, in, Thank it's you. incredible. Honestly, my man. Um, but yeah, we're nearly running out of time, guys. Um, but I'm going to speak to this guy for a long time after this. I can assure you that. Get myself a little counseling session. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> honestly, um, Curtis, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. Um, if anyone can definitely try and listen to this TED talk that he's mentioned obviously it's a phenomenal story as well um, uh, this has been the Dope Black Dad podcast I'm lost for words I'm very excited to speak to this guy um, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Dope Black Dad
Dope Black Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 